You are tuned to Community Radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. It's 6 p.m., Tuesday, October 25th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Gaming conglomerates and tribal governments face off over a ballot measure on online betting. The California Report looks into how some tribes see Prop 27 as a choice between money and independence. Later, Paul Emery talks to Gary Zimmerman about the economy. And if that doesn't frighten you, maybe this will. An evening of twisted tales by community storytellers is coming to the Communal Cafe, sponsored by KVMR. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. A measure to legalize online betting in California, Proposition 27, has created a record-spending war between gambling companies who support the measure and many California tribal governments who oppose it. As KQED's Guy Marzarati and CAP Radio's Nicole Nixon explain, the measure has sparked a debate over the issue of tribal sovereignty. Most of the California tribes who have weighed in on Proposition 27 are against it. But if you've seen yes on Prop 27 ads, you've probably noticed the guy in a bright red shirt. Prop 27 supports financially disadvantaged tribes that don't own big casinos. That's Moak Simon, chair of the Middletown Rancheria of Pomo Indians in rural Lake County, north of Napa. For much of the summer and fall, his face was a constant presence on TV in support of Prop 27. By taxing and regulating online sports betting for adults 21 and over, we can protect tribal sovereignty and finally... Middletown Rancheria is one of three tribes that supports Prop 27, but Nicole found that more than 50 tribes oppose it. They're worried in part about language tucked away in the measure that could potentially undermine tribal sovereignty. Sovereignty refers to the inherent right of tribal nations to govern their own lands and people. And in California, they also have exclusive rights to offer casino-style games on their lands, if they have the resources for gaming. Jeff Butler is general counsel for the Yochadihi Wintun Nation, a Northern California tribe that operates a casino resort. He says many tribes are skeptical of Prop 27 because it would require them to sign new agreements with big companies like FanDuel or DraftKings to offer online sports betting. But the problem with that is that to do so, the tribe expressly must waive its sovereign immunity. Uh, it's got to allow itself to be sued. Um, and, and that is a, it's, it's a non-starter with respect to tribes. Sovereignty is crucial to tribal cultures, especially after generations of genocidal policies from European colonizers that resulted in the death of hundreds of thousands of native people, stolen lands, and fractured tribal identity. These policies continued well into the 1960s, says Jolie Proudfit. She directs the California Indian Culture and Sovereignty Center at Cal State San Marcos. What makes the tribe is its people. And the tribe having the, the wherewithal and the resources to govern its people and its lands and its waters is critical. So to lose that and just have the people blend into society as simply another racialized group is really harmful to tribal peoples. Proudfit says tribal gaming and casinos have helped pull tribes out of poverty and provide essential services like health care and housing. Tribal sovereignty is wonderful, um, but having the resources to enact tribal sovereignty are critical. And that point about resources is why Moak Simon, the tribal chairman featured in the Yes on 27 ads, finds himself on the other side of dozens of tribes. 
Middletown Rancheria has looked at the opportunities for us to grow for the next seven generations, and we're limited. The roughly 250-member tribe runs the Twin Pines Casino and Hotel, but it's not a big gaming operation. For Simon, the chance to partner with an online sports betting company could bring money for economic development and the potential to buy back tribal lands. This is just an opportunity for one tribe to make a decision, a sovereign decision, on how they're going to move their people forward. Polls show Prop 27 looks headed to defeat, but these questions of tribal sovereignty and sports betting aren't going away, as the issue could be back on the ballot again in 2024. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. And I'm Nicole Nixon. This story is part of a project from the California Newsroom, a collaboration of California's public radio station, NPR, and CalMatters. California K-12 students' academic progress has plunged during the pandemic. In results out yesterday from both the nation's report card and California's own standardized test, it's clear schools have a lot of work ahead to make up for the losses. KQED's Julia McAvoy reports. Almost 3 million students in grades 3 to 8 and 11th grade took the state's standardized test last spring for the first time since 2019, when California stopped giving the test due to COVID. Math is the worst decline, with the percentage of students overall who are proficient or better dropping 7 percentage points statewide. In English, it fell close to 5 percentage points. California students are also showing significant decline on the National Assessment of Education Progress, or NAEP, often called the nation's report card. The one bright spot nationally is Los Angeles Unified, which showed the most improvement compared to all other large city districts when it came to eighth grade reading. Scores improved nine points. Superintendent Alberto Carvalho credits the district getting computers to all students quickly during the shutdown, as well as increased summer work and tutoring as part of what is working. We moved the needle aggressively, but performance is still low. We need to redouble our efforts, particularly uh, with differentiated approaches with the most fragile students, and those are students of color, uh, students with disabilities, and English language learners. Carvalho says meeting students' mental health needs is a part of the equation. The state has invested $4 billion to help kids recover from pandemic-related trauma. For the California Report, I'm Julia McAvoy. Adidas says it's cutting ties with Kanye West after he recently made a series of anti-Semitic remarks. The company had faced growing pushback, including from two California lawmakers, state senators Jesse Gabriel of Woodland Hills and Scott Weiner, who represents San Francisco. During a news conference Monday, Gabriel said it was indefensible for Adidas to profit off of West's name and that it was their responsibility to condemn his hateful comments. High-end fashion designer Balenciaga had already canceled its deal with West, and talent agency CAA dropped him as a client. In a statement, Adidas, whose founder was a member of the Nazi party, said it doesn't tolerate anti-Semitism or any other hate speech. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute. 
Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel FALCOR-2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration, on the web at schmidtocean.org. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, October 25th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Turning to regional news, at its meeting tonight, starting at 7, the Grass Valley City Council is poised to give the go-ahead to a plan by In Concert Sierra to develop a performing arts complex in the Whispering Pines Business Park area. The centerpiece of the project is a 9,500-square-foot concert hall that would seat about 500 people. The Whispering Pines project would also include a 125-seat black box theater and a 3,000-square-foot conference center. The project is at 125 Crown Point Circle. According to reporting by the Union newspaper, the Grass Valley Planning Commission recommended approval of the plan after a public hearing on the matter on September 20th. In concert's estimated cost of renovating the nearly 42,000-square-foot space, which once served as a Blue Cross call center, is around $12 million. In Concert Sierra was founded in 1946 as Twin Cities Concert Association. For years, it has been presenting its classical and choral music concerts at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Grass Valley. According to the nonprofit's website, it has been looking for a new home for more than 10 years. An anonymous gift of $2 million in 2018 made In Concert's dream probable. So far, it has raised an additional $5 million for the project. Now to the regional forecast from the National Weather Service and air quality data from purpleair.com. Seasonal temperatures are expected for the rest of the week with a chance of precipitation in the weekend forecast. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley will be mostly clear with a low around 41. The air quality index this afternoon was in the single digits. Wednesday will be mostly sunny with a high near 63 and a low around 40. Tonight in Truckee and Lake Tahoe will be partly cloudy with a low around 23. Air quality this afternoon was measuring in the single digits. Wednesday in the Tahoe area will be mostly sunny with a high around 50. Wednesday night will be partly cloudy with a low around 20. In Sacramento and Woodland, this evening will be mostly clear with a low in the mid-40s. The air quality index this afternoon was in the teens. Wednesday in the Sacramento area will be sunny with a high near 72 and north-northwest winds of up to 13 miles per hour in the morning. Wednesday night will be mostly clear with a low in the mid-40s and northwest winds up to 10 miles per hour. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. All eyes, at least the ones focused on economic news, are on next week's Federal Reserve Policy Meeting. What further moves will the Fed make, and how will they affect inflation, mortgage rates, and gross domestic product? For clues to what lies ahead, KVMR's Paul Emery picks the brain of economist Gary Zimmerman. This economic report is sponsored by Rick Kelb. Wealth Management Advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983, 
on Spring Street, Nevada City at rickkelb.com. Well, welcome back, Gary. Let's talk about the economy today. That sounds like a good plan, Paul. Uh, There certainly is enough going on with the economy, and there is an important decision coming up next week by the Federal Reserve. Well, what can you tell us about the recent inflation numbers? Are they still rising, stabilizing, or falling, or do you not know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Let's focus on the, the Federal Reserve and their policy actions, since the Federal Reserve here is the key policymaker in the fight to lower inflation. The inflation index the Fed policymakers look at most closely and use when they set their 2% inflation goal for the economy is, is called the Personal Consumption Expenditure Price Index, or PCE. And there are two of those indices, PCE indices, they look at very carefully, and both of those are well above the Fed's 2% inflation goal. Um, so in August, the PCE inflation measure for all items rose at a 6.2% annual rate over the past year, while the core inflation, that's the one that excludes the volatile components like food and energy items, increased at a 4.9% annual rate over the past year. So, you know, they're they're still high. And on Friday of this week, um, the BLS will publish the September um, inflation rate numbers for this series. So, you know, watch for that in the news. Certainly the Fed policymakers will be looking at and discussing these inflation measures at their meeting next week. Want to add one other thing, and that is the September consumer price index also has been increasing at around an eight percent annual rate. So, very very high compared to the Fed's two percent goal for inflation. How might both the high inflation and strong job market affect the Fed's policy for the rest of this year? Well, it's interesting. In recent weeks, in their public comments, the Fed policymakers seem to be discussing and maybe debating a little over their next policy moves. Um, The inflation rate is high. The unemployment rate is at or below full employment. And that puts uh, more upward pressure on prices and wages and inflation in the economy. So, you know, and again, the Fed's primary policy tool to slow inflation is to increase interest rates. And over time, that takes, you know, months and quarters sometimes for those increases in interest rates by the Fed to impact or slow the overall growth rate of the economy and slow down labor markets. And the challenge for Fed policymakers today is, you know, and they'll be announcing their next policy decision after their Wednesday, November 2nd meeting, is that the higher interest rates will slow the growth of the economy at best. Um, But at worst, they could potentially lead to a recession where economic activity actually shrinks. Um, And we'll be getting lots of economic forecasts in the next couple of months as we approach year end. And they'll be looking at, you know, what, what economists think that's going to happen to these indicators and to the economy in 2023. Okay, Gary. Well, is in fact the Federal Reserve's policy raising interest rates to fight inflation, is that an appropriate way to slow inflation? Yes, the Fed's actions to raise interest rates since March of 2020 were, were necessary given the initial 2020 and 2021 global COVID and supply chain spike in inflation. And then you add in the surprise 2022 war in Ukraine. It says, you know, another global disaster that policymakers couldn't anticipate continues to drive up the global energy and food prices. And it's resulted in the continued elevated inflation rate that's affecting everyone at the grocery store and the gas pump and, and the Fed policy makers as they you know look at inflation in the economy today and of course they're the, the key policymakers on this issue 
Okay, Gary, how would you summarize that in just a couple of sentences? <laughs> okay, thanks, Paul, for reminding me to speak English rather than economics. Uh, well, essentially, the elevated inflation rate forced the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates to slow the growth rate of the economy to lower the inflation rate. And, of course, raising interest rates and slowing the economy also could cause the economy to slide into a recession that you know hurts the economy in many other ways, most notably as workers lose their jobs, as overall profits decline as consumer and investment spending fall, the unemployment uh, numbers rise, and the unemployment rate climbs you know, above full employment. You know, fortunately, we're in a good starting in a good position because the current unemployment rate at three and a half percent is an all-time low. Over the, you know, and, and the same is true for California with a 3.9 percent unemployment rate. So that's that's you know a good place to be starting from. Just how much have interest rates risen as the Fed tightens monetary policy by raising interest rates? Can you give us an example? Well, let's start with the overnight or one-day interbank financial market, and these are essentially overnight bank-to-bank loans in, in huge amounts. This is the only interest rate the Fed controls directly, and that target interest rate has risen from essentially zero in March, so a very low interest rate that was boosting economic growth coming out of the COVID recession um, and recovery. And it's moved up to about three per a little over three percent today, and it'll be likely moved up into the three and a half to four percent range after the Fed's policy meeting next week. Um, you know, it's clear I think a a four percent interest rate in this bank to bank lending market will also drive up other interest rates and start slowing the economy's growth. Um, and that's why many economists are concerned about a potential recession in 2023. Pretty tricky stuff, Gary, and thanks for (laughs) explaining it to us. I'm sure all of us understand it completely by now. (laughs) Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the San Francisco Reserve in San Francisco and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria, where he teaches courses in economics and finance. Wednesday evening around 5.30, as the sun starts sinking low and darkness begins to creep over Nevada City, eight homegrown storytellers will take the stage at the communal cafe on Broad Street. Whatever happens next, well, we can't give that away, but it's bound to give you the chills. News Director Claudio Mendoza talks to KVMR General Manager Ali Lightfoot about KVMR's upcoming evening of Twisted Tales. Nevada County is home to lots of stories. Lots of storytellers have passed through these streets, and KVMR is getting in on the action. I'm talking about Twisted Tales. Joining me now is Allie Lightfoot. Hi, Allie. Thank you for having me, Claudio. Pleasure. Uh, yeah, it's fun. It's a, a really great, fun event that's happening tomorrow evening. And I we had our rehearsal last night. And I I can tell you that for a kickoff event, it's, it's taking off quite nicely. Uh, a really great group of people showed up, many of whom I have not met yet. You know, there's a couple of folks that are involved with KVMR that are taking part. But we had some community members who... Um, are these brilliant storytellers that, you know, I'm, I'm sort of like, where have you been all my life? Um, <laughs> it's going to be great to get them on the radio. Tomorrow, the event is live and, and people are welcome to come. Doors are at 530, I think, and, and the actual storytelling happens at 6, right? 
That's right. And we're hoping that people kind of get in and get settled by the time we start because we are recording it so that we can air it on Halloween. So it's going to air during the news um, evening news slot a little after 6 p.m. You can hear it on the radio. But, you know, we'd really love a lot of people to show up in person because it's always nice to have somebody to tell the story to and get those reactions from folks who are out there listening. About how many storytellers are going to be performing? So we have eight storytellers, um, and I can kind of tell you a little bit about the stories. I don't want to give them away. Each story is less than 10 minutes long. They're short stories. We have Tamara Luckenbill with a story called The Offering, longtime uh, Nevada County resident who had a very mysterious thing happen in her backyard. Uh, Trevor Hollingsworth, great storyteller. And his story is about getting lost and some very strange things happened when he was out uh, rock hunting. Uh, Margie Dieterman has a story called Crushed. And I would say that that one's about one of those moments in life where you say, you know, I cannot believe this is happening to me. And you wonder, am I even going to survive this? How does this go? which a few of the stories are a little bit like that, you know, some survival moments in life, including Susan Schreiber's story. It's called Great White Shark. And David Whitehead, his story is called Monkey Mountain, about uh, an experience that he had when he was 19 years old in Saudi Arabia. And then Lee Pope is joining us with a story called Rearview Mirror. And that's a story about second chances. And a time, it's about timing, too, I think, a little bit. Um, there's some, some great stories where timing plays a role. Every now and then in life, you have these strange, you know, coincidences or, you know, something happens just when, when it needed to or when it didn't need to or, <laughs> uh, you know, just something that changes the course of things in an unexpected way. Vicki Stanton is telling a story called My Grandmother's Rings. It's a little bit of a lost and found story in a mysterious way. Penelope Whitney is joining us with a story we call The Night Jogger. I will say these are all really entertaining. There wasn't one story that wasn't completely perfect for the theme. It's completely, I think, fine for kids to come to. This is a little spooky. I got chills when I heard a few of these stories, but nothing too overwhelming for anyone, I don't think. And um, hope a lot of people will come out for it. Tell me about the venue. Where is this being recorded? This is being recorded at the Communal Cafe, which is new to that space. It's been a cafe before, but it's a great little spot. And it's it's really been fun to watch that cafe come to life and they're doing a lot of cool community events and involving the community in a lot of ways. So it's sort of a natural thing for us to pair up for this. So the event is called Twisted Tales. It's an evening of community storytelling at the Communal Cafe. Wednesday, October 26th, show up a little early, get ready to munch on some goodies and be potentially spooked in a good way. Yes, definitely. These are all true stories, too, I might add. A lot of mystery, surprise, stories about survival. And yes, there are some ghost stories in there, too. So hope to see you there. Allie, thanks so much. Thank you. 
That's our newscast for Tuesday, October 25th. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. If you missed our hour-long special examining what's at stake for Nevada County in the ballot item known as Measure V, you can listen again at kvmr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can always connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Please join us Wednesday evening at 6 for the next edition of the KVMR Evening News.